Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. PSG spend all this money and Club Bruges Show them that money ain't nothing if you don't have the effort and the chemistry. We got that. And to talk a lot about Anfield, Liverpool. What a fantastic performance right there. Man City did the business against Jesse Marsh and Leipzig. We got Atletico Madrid with all the firepower. Where was it? This and so much more. The Wednesday of match day one of the Champions League. We got Drake Cordero in the house. We got Jonathan Johnson coming very, very soon. Kego Lasso, Champions League, match day one, live begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kego Lasso. I am so happy to be here with you. We're going to talk about all of Wednesday's action and a little bit more. Our man, Jonathan Johnson, is at Club Bruges, so we're going to try and find him. I don't know. Maybe uh, the president of PSG is so mad and Leonardo are so mad that they canceled the entire Wi-Fi at the stadium, so maybe we won't see him. Maybe we will. We will talk about But we do have the fantastic the awesome, my friend, mi compa, Dre Cordero. Dre, how are you, bud? My man, I could not be uh, better. By the way, uh, if somebody wants to send a producer to go look for Jonathan, I would check the stadium bars first. He might be there <laughs> trying to console himself. Just a thought. Uh, I could not be happier to be here. I could not be happier to be part of the CBS family. It's been a wild couple of weeks with World Cup qualifying, with Serie A getting underway, and now uh, this much football on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. I mean, let's get into it. Let's absolutely uh, get into it. There's so much to discuss. Tuesday gave us a little taster and Wednesday brought the magic, uh, depending on who you support, of course. By the way, before we get going, if you're watching this live on YouTube, we want your comments. We want your questions. So send them along. Uh, our producer, Des Norris, will put them up on the screen and hopefully we'll read them. Uh, keep it PG, everybody. Come on now. We're a family show, uh, at least uh, before 9 p.m. But we do want to hear from you. We also want you to make sure that you tweet Ray Cordero, LMH Garay, but Pod on Twitter as well. And if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts later on, please leave a five-star rating and review. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, as I mentioned, and CBS Sports and your CBS Sports app. All right, Dre, let's get into it. Champions League action. Let's begin, of course, with what just happened in Belgium. Club Bruges and PSG, they tied one all. There was a Kylian Mbappé injury. His ankle was bothering him after a collision in the first half. Ander Herrera did score first, but funnily enough, Dre, I thought that going one nothing down meant that Club Bruges was playing better and actually woke them up a little bit and then ended one all. But I want your initial reactions to PSG tying one all with Club Bruges with that trio that we saw for the first time. Yeah, I think the headline has to be about Leo Messi, right? Because it's Messi's Champions League debut with Paris. And so if we if we touch on that first, um, it looked every bit like uh, Messi had played just 25 minutes with Paris prior to this game. Uh, like someone who's still trying to figure it out, uh, what's around him. I, I thought uh, his touches were really limited in the first half. And it's, it's curious that it was after Mbappe's injury that Mauro Icardi comes on that Messi starts to get touches closer to the 18. And that's not because of the um, quality, you know, comparing Icardi versus Mbappe. I think 10 out of 10 would take 
Kylian Mbappe over Mauro Icardi, but it's because of the presence of a center forward um, taking up some of that attention away and giving Messi a chance to, to, to arrive uh, closer to the area. Um, so I think it's it's almost like a barely passing grade for Leo Messi. He did hit the woodwork. He had a good chance late on, um, but there's certainly better, better games to come from them. I, I would say that it's not just that Bruges played better in the opening minutes. I think on the balance of the 90 minutes, Bruges mm. were the better team. They were proactive. Uh, they played in Paris's half. They created opportunities, had more shots, had more shots on target, um, despite significantly less uh, possession. I think they knew how they wanted to play. Uh, and I'm blown away by how courageous uh, and proactive their approach was. Absolutely 100% correct. I think there's something to be said. Drake Cordero, about the fact that COVID obviously taking away the fans for so long, you could feel that energy of the crowd just like completely intoxicating uh, PSG, I think, to a point. There is a thing, though, and you were talking about Lionel Messi, and obviously, you know, there were moments, there were flashes, a passable grade, of course, Kylian Mbappé with a great assist. He was injured, Neymar and stuff. But something that continues to worry me about PSG, and I want to talk about Bruges more because, as you mentioned, they were so great. But there's no midfield, Drake Cordero. I feel like it goes from the back four and it goes straight to that trio. And when Icardi came on as the number nine attracting that front. But there's nothing in the midfield. And Club Bruges saw that. They pressured PSG the entire time. They gave them a taste of their own medicine. And it was really remarkable to see in many ways. But PSG, my God. And dare I say, sometimes a little boring. You know, it reminds me, I was thinking back to the transition that Barcelona went, and follow me on this, but there was a transition for Barcelona from the Xavi, Busquets, Iniesta team that dominated the midfield um, under Pep Guardiola to mm -hmm. Luis Enrique's team with Messi, uh, Neymar, and Luis Suarez, where all of a sudden they realized that they were top-heavy, that they, the, the point was just to get the ball to the front three as quickly as possible and let those guys create. And I think there's an element of that to what Mauricio Pochettino is doing right now and what, why you saw um, the long balls out of the back. In fact, that, that worked brilliantly early on. There was that... Um, uh, Kimpembe ball to uh, Mbappe, who was isolated near side. Uh, that creates the, the goal for Andre Herrera with Mbappe pulling it back. And so I think you're going to see a more direct PSG just by, by uh, nature of where are your best pieces. If they're your front three, then you, you need to get the ball there as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, if you're just looking at everything in terms of the game itself, the home side did definitely hold more of their own. And they attacked that left side of PSG, which we've thought already, we have said it already on the pod, uh, that, you know, it's pretty vulnerable. Here's a, a question to begin with. If PSG don't win the Champions League this season, would it be a catastrophic failure? We asked you, and right now it's 100% Yes, shame on everyone involved. And 0% no, they can bounce back next year. What do you think, Dre? I think that the bar has been set for teams like Paris and like Bayern, and maybe those are the only two where everybody else is a little bit deluded, where it is Champions League title or bust in the perception of most fans, right? You're expected to dominate your domestic league if you're Bayern or Paris, especially now uh, Paris adding adding Leo Messi and, and other pieces like Hakimi. Um, and so they've put themselves in that situation where it's, unreasonable we know that no team is obligated to win the champions league there are a handful of clubs that have a real chance and you need the ball to bounce your way in the knockout stages we're a long way away from getting to that but there are teams like paris and like Bayern that are going to be judged on basically four games all season four or five games and those games all come a lot closer to may than where we are right now um so yeah i think most people will tell you that if psg don't win the champions league it'll be a failure only because they're expected to win literally everything else that they play yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, a word of a shout out to uh, Hans Vanneken. Four goals in seven wow. matches, all competitions this season. He was uh, tremendous. Uh, you have to give them credit. And, you know, yeah. final words on, on this game before we move on, Dre. What, what, what else did you pinpoint? Did you see from this draw? 
Yeah, so if I could just highlight just how courageous um, uh, Bruges were. They, they didn't mm. sit in a low block. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of possession, but they were in a mid-block, basically really compact lines. And so when they won the ball back, they could arrive with numbers. It wasn't just counterattacks where um, players like um, uh, Vanekin were completely isolated with nothing around them. In fact, they had the pieces to try and triangulate to get past PSG. And I thought that's a really clever um, approach from the, the smaller team, the underdog against giants like Paris. And I hope... I just I have my fingers crossed that more of the underdogs going forward take similar approach, take sort of courageous, proactive approaches against the big the big hitters. Yeah, it may backfire spectacularly, or you may give fans like they did today the show of their life. Because every time that the camera panned to the stands and the crowd in this match, you just saw happy faces who looked like they were in absolute disbelief at the way that their club was, not just the result, but the way they were playing against Paris Saint-Germain. And then the other little point I would give here is that Messi did not play particularly well. Yes, he's he's going to need some time to sort of adapt to what's around him. But what really surprised me is how poor his passing was. Mm. To see a game in which Messi had about 74% pass completion in the opposition's half is ridiculous, right? Because you think he's going to be picking out those passes brilliantly. And so I think he's still sort of learning the names of some of the players on his squad. Uh, and, and we'll see much better things to come from him. I think Marco Verratti was severely missed today in one way. What was the biggest upset to you, Young Boys or Club Bruges? Uh, probably oh, that's a really hard pick, right? I think it has to be young boys because they actually got the win. And you know right. what? Just because it gives us a chance to shout out uh, Jordan Pifog for a 95th minute game <laughs> with the U.S. internationals doing things in big stages. That's true. They did get the win as well. That's a, a major thing. But make no mistake about it. I said it earlier on HQ. PSG needed to start with a bang. They did not. So it'll be interesting to see what happens as we move on. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, we talked about Liverpool against AC Milan. The only time these two face each other prior to today is in a final. We talked to Luis Garcia. He was excited about it. Anfield, just, we just knew the crowd was going to deliver. The atmosphere, amazing. And my goodness, what a game. Great Cordero, because Liverpool were just like looked amazing for 20 minutes. If it wasn't for Mike Magnon, you know, really AC Milan could have suffered. But out of nowhere, at halftime, AC Milan were leading 2-1. Crazy. And then, of course, uh, the game developed and just an amazing, amazing performance. Jordan Henderson and a banger. Give me your thoughts on this game. I'm glad you brought up uh, Mike Magnan because he's been such a stellar uh, goalkeeper for so long, uh, part of that league championship team in, in the French League on last year. Um, a really sort of adventurous uh, goalkeeper who can play with his feet, but he also, as we showed, showed you today, has the reactions, makes a huge penalty save to keep uh, Milan in it. Obviously, uh, Liverpool get that golazo from uh, Jordan Henderson uh, just outside of the area, which is struck so sweetly. Those are the ones that you almost hear the pop in your own head, right? When, when anybody who's been out beautiful. there on the pitch hitting it, you can just feel... It's, what, like, what, it's like Skittles is coming out of his club. You just yeah. know it's just pure magic. It's <laughs> yeah, just gorgeous. But but Milan, I w- you said uh, 20 minutes. I would say 40 minutes, right? I would mm. double that. For 40 minutes, um, Liverpool just did not allow Milan to play. They suffocated them. They didn't allow them, allow them to play out of the back. Once Milan do get into the final third, they have some pieces. Like Ante Rebic, for example, against Lazio this weekend was stellar, providing two assists. Um, in, you know, big maybe the be- the first big Serie A game for them this uh, this year, and and he stepped up. I think he continued that good form today. He was a constant threat when they could get to the final third. The thing is, for 40 minutes, they barely saw sight uh, of the opposition's goal. Um, they got essentially rope dope for 40 minutes and two big haymakers, and they go into the break up two goals to one. Liverpool's second half get an early goal to level it, and then Henderson's uh, game winner afterwards. I think there's probably good things to come from Milan, uh, but this was a game they were expected to lose, and up until about 40 minutes in, you thought there's no chance they were in it. So I think that they were as competitive as they were um, is a good sign for Stefano Pioli and a good sign for Milan. 
Yeah, I think you're right, Dre. I think Jonathan Johnson is at the bar crying. Yeah. He's uh, struggling to connect with us right now. No, we're just kidding. Obviously, at the stadium, it can be a little bit difficult to connect with us. So if he does join, that's great. But if not, don't worry. Dre and I have you covered. Mohamed Salah on his 100th appearance, by the way, 72 goals. A great performance from him. But Milan, as you mentioned, those haymakers, that was in the space of one minute and 47 seconds. It just goes to show how quickly Things can just turn around. And also the fact that I think Jurgen Klopp, uh, Dre, needs to remember that as good as they are in terms of press, they can be a little bit vulnerable on the counter. They can, but uh, they, they make it so difficult for teams, especially at home, for, for teams to get any sort of rhythm, right? And, and uh, Milan will be much more used to the pace of Serie A, which would be a little bit slower, a little bit more deliberate. Um, and it did seem like, at least for you know the good, better part of 40 minutes, that they were playing a different sport from Liverpool. Uh, the yeah. players were being closed down very quickly. They weren't allowed to think on the ball. And it's so different from what they, play, what they face week in and week out um, in the Italian top flight, that that adjustment, making that adjustment was going to be a big deal for them. Um, I thought, you know, Liverpool sort of performed as expected. I think they dominated the, the, the match, even if, you know, they, they got the win, but it's not just about, you know, three goals to two. It's, it's the fact that they were uh, the protagonists throughout the, the entirety of the 90 minutes, save for those few seconds that, that Milan finally got their touches in. And one thing I'll say about Milan is when they get close to the opposition's goal, when, when it's Rebic, um, Leal, uh, Brahim Diaz, who just looks like miles better than the player that he was um, at Real Madrid, He's barely getting any minutes. Uh, they can play some really attractive football. I think Salamakers uh, can get the job done. Uh, ben Nasser was, was brilliant. This is a guy who won the... Um, AFCON a couple of years back and was the best player at the Africa Cup of Nations. I think he's one of those like fantasistas in Serie A that are just so much fun to watch uh, that I'm impressed with Milan going forward. But then defensively, you have some questions because uh, Teo Hernandez just allows Salah to, to go into the area. Calabria is keeping um, Salah on on that goal. And there's those little lapses of concentration that against a team that is as talented um, and as rock and roll as Jurgen Klopp likes to say, as Liverpool are, they're just going to punish you and they're going to beat you with it. Yeah, you got to be real quick whenever uh, they enter anything outside of the box. By the way, Jordan Henderson scored that goal, uh, the first one in the Champions League for seven years, by the way. So that's wow. a, a good one for him. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. If you're listening this on audio, we're going to take a quick break. But if you're watching this live, we're going to keep on rolling. Don't forget to stick with us. Kego Lasso, Champions League match day one. We'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everybody. We are sticking around if you're watching this live with Dre Cordero. Dre, quickly, because I didn't talk to you. <sighs> Yeah. Dre, quickly, because I didn't talk to you. How's uh, how's your experience been so far? Uh, going back with your with your good old chum and our my my good friend Matteo Bonetti said, yeah, how's it been going? And so it's been unbelievable. Um, the, the level that we're working at, the 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 love of the game that you see from every single person uh, in front of the cameras, in front of the mics, behind the cameras, behind the mics, um, at CBS, whether working in Denver for the Nations League in the summer, uh, working in New York, working in Stanford, wherever it is, you're just surrounded by um 
just quality people, great professionals who want to put the best product out there. And, and most importantly, a bunch of football fans, right? Because I think one of the issues with the, the coverage in American soccer or in soccer in America has been having, you know, NFL execs and, and you know, other sports sort of uh, appealing to the casual fan. How do we draw in? How do we bring in the non-soccer fan? I say, forget that. You've got a, a huge crowd, uh, a huge number in a, in a country of 300 plus million people who love this game. And I think CBS and Paramount Plus are doing a really good job catering to those people. As far as Matteo, Matteo is family to me. Matteo Bonetti is maybe the most knowledgeable person about Italian soccer in this country. Uh, him and I essentially lived in a six by six box together uh, for many years, covering City Up uh, for for about six seasons. I, I did the math, and conservatively, I think we did at minimum seven hundred City games, uh, Matteo and I. And so after Ooh. four years to get back in the booth. Uh, like riding a bike, loved it. Almost, you could read each other's thoughts. You could finish each other's sentences if you wanted to. Uh, he's delightful, and I'm delighted to be working with him. I love it, and we love watching and listening to you. It's so fantastic. But let's keep going here with the Champions League, by the way, because let's talk about a Serie A team, Inter Milan against Real Madrid. It was sort of a, a back and forth for a while, and then Camavinga, Rodrigo, the young boys, they took care of business, and Real Madrid take, if, you, if I'm being honest, three very precious mm -hmm. points against Inter Milan. What would you make of that one? Yeah, I think at this point it's voodoo. Uh, I think with Madrid, it's voodoo in the Champions League. It, it doesn't matter what their form is like. It doesn't matter what, what whether they're good or not good, whether they play well, don't play well. There's something about the bright lights of the Champions League that obviously not always, you know, they don't win it every year, but they are the 13-time European champions. Uh, and I hate the pukey sports cliche of the fine win ways to win, but they genuinely do. And I mean, today, after a pretty abysmal you know, hour plus from Real Madrid where Inter were clearly the better team, uh, where especially through those three center backs uh, who are not mm -hmm. just really good defenders, but also very good distributors. It seemed as though Madrid didn't have a response, didn't have a reaction. Uh, and then in an instance down the final stretch, a gorgeous ball from Fede Valverde over the top uh, to Camavinga was making his Champions League debut with Real Real Madrid scores it across, and Rodrigo, of all people, uh, scores a goal, a really pretty goal for Real Madrid. And it's just that magic about the European stage that Madrid always responds to. Yeah, and there's something to be said about that combination of that trio with Fede Valverde, of course, being 23 years old, Rodrigo being yeah. a teenager, and Camavinga being 18 as yeah. well. It says a lot about where Real Madrid are going, heading, uh, and probably you know thinking to go ahead, not just in the near future, but right now in the Champions League. And you can say, yes, Madrid have had all of the success with Cross, uh, who wasn't available today, with Luka Modric, um, with Casemiro. Well, Ramos obviously was a big part of it as well. But the future is pretty bright, at least when it comes to that midfield. If you have Camavinga and Fede Valverde getting more minutes, uh, resting the legs of Modric now, who I think is like about 46 years old at this point, um, and Toni Kroos, who you want to limit his minutes as, most, as much as possible so that uh, they're fresh when... when Madrid are one of those teams that's going to be judged on four or five games that happen down the final stretch of the season. Um, and so having that quality of, of uh, rotation in the middle with Camavinga and Fede Valverde is absolutely huge for Madrid. But you know me, I got to talk a little bit about the Serie A teams. And I yeah, am talk to me. Let's go. Yeah, well, you get a bonus, I think, if you, if you include a little bit. Yeah. Uh, basically, I'm still very impressed with Inter. The, even in defeat, yes, this was at home. It was a game that they desperately wanted to win and probably did enough to win because while Rodrigo scored the goal, Thibaut Courtois was Real Madrid's best player in this game. The, the way that Inter approached, most teams that play with three at the back, whenever you see that 
the the three center backs have the most touches, they're basically passing it among themselves, right? You mm-hmm. know, trying to lure the opposition out to create some space. That's not really the case with the Nerazzurri. They have three good distributors out of the back. Their wing backs, as opposed to what we saw with Barcelona and Ronald Koeman, where they're they're very deep and playing almost scared. Their wing backs for Inter are often the highest players up the pitch uh, and trying to get touches in the 18. And so they attack you with their defenders, which makes it really really difficult in Madrid. And the first half, first half especially, didn't have a response for it. Madrid did not have a shot on target until close to the hour mark when, when Carvajal was the first one to test the goalkeepers of Handanovic. Um, and so I think even with Lukaku gone, even with Hakimi gone, this is an Inter team that is still, for me, one of the, maybe the favorite to win the Scudetto in Serie A, and a team that can do some damage um, in the Champions League. Yep, absolutely. We're going to come in here from San Marin. AC Milan absolutely broke Liverpool down before halftime. That's correct. But when you're a good team, you pick yourself back again. And Liverpool did exactly that. By the way, Inter Milan are a nice way of trying to figure out, you know, you leave, Antonio Conte leaves, Lukaku leaves, yep. but it doesn't matter. You have to adapt. You have to figure a way out, especially in this modern game. And that's something that's a nice little mirror to what just we saw from PSG, by the way. You have yep. to adapt to the modern game and to your point that's exactly what they're doing i'm disappointed with myself because i almost allowed us to, to move on from talking about inter without bringing up marcelo brozovic who i think is maybe the player the best player that's least talked about uh in mm-hmm. the world and yet he's not he's not glamorous uh, but he's part of that brilliant croatia team that made the the final of the uh, 2018 world cup and he is very much the the conductor and metronome of Inter for all the talk about how good their defense is of uh, uh, Nico Barella being uh, one of the best young players, if not the best young player in Serie A. And now the addition of uh, Chalonolu, who I think is going to be good, at least on set pieces for them. Um, I get some backlash from, from uh, Serie A fans whenever I see Chalonolu delivers a good ball on dead balls, but he, he does just, you know, at me, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but Marcelo Brozovic is what makes Inter tick. And he had another really uh, strong performance today. Edin Dzeko has been a huge addition for them as well. He's not going to score the volume of goals that Romelu Lukaku did He's not probably going to come close to it, but he serves a very useful purpose as that that target forward who's not just going to be knocking balls down um, for the wingers, knocking balls down for Lautaro Martinez, but creating for himself as well. Um, when I watch him, it's it's almost it's balletic when you watch Jekyll play because there's no wasted movement. Everything is with purpose, and he's so long and tall that he's so difficult for defenders to deal with. I think Jekyll is in for a terrific season with Inter as long as he stays healthy. Yep, keeping it in the Serie A family and buying a player that knows Serie A was a key for Inter Milan as Lukaku left. And by the way, well done, Real Madrid, blah, blah, blah. But to Desnars' point, there's a new Sheriff in town because remember, Sheriff, their first ever win, uh, they beat... Shakhtar Donetsk, 2-0. They have a Peruvian, Gustavo Lulanto. So I'm extra happy, by the way. I just wanted to shout that one out. How how good was that one? Adama Traore, no, no, that one. He scored. Uh, And Cristiano, no, no, that one. Uh, He played very well as well. A pretty good win uh, for Sheriff, the the new Sheriff in town. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to actually just uh, sort of sit back and listen to you talking about them because looking at the quality of games that we had today on the schedule, how many people had Sheriff Shakhtar sort of circled on their calendars? You did because there was a Peruvian involved. Exactly. So you tell me what you saw in that game. No, I mean, listen, they completely uh, took advantage again of the fact that the energy was coming for them because it was, you know, their their introduction to the Champions League. I actually, they were, they were very composed, especially off the ball because Shakhtar Donetsk are a team that are procession friendly. They like to keep it. They like to take their time. And uh, Sheriff knew it and they just hit them on the counter. And Cristiano, by the way, some David Beckham-esque crossing in that game. It was fantastic. But three, listen, you need, when you're a new team in the Champions League, the only thing that matters is three points. 
That's it. That's all that matters. And that's exactly what they got. So well done to Sheriff. But let's move on to Manchester City, the Sheriff of uh, Manchester, unfortunately, to the red side of uh, Manchester. Don't want to hear that. But they beat RB Leipzig and Jesse Marsh, who, um, you know what? They did put up a fight, but Manchester City are just too deep, too strong, too talented. Uh, Jack Grealish scored a ridiculous goal, but it was opened by Nathan Agay from a corner, a Jack Grealish assist, by the way. And then the goals just kept on coming. Every now and again, Leipzig kept, uh, you know, poaching a little bit, you know, uh, prickling, maybe just getting that goal to maybe make it interesting, Drake Cordero. But in the end, Man City are just too strong. Yeah, this game had all the goals, right? All of them. It was nine goals in this game, uh, 6-3. It was fairly close until uh, maybe the last half hour or so, or you got that Jao Cancelo goal with a quarter of an hour to go. I think that's when yeah. it was done. And you, you asked the question. You a hat trick, so, you know, that, that's also yeah. good for Leipzig. You, you asked the question of, um, you know, where was Paris's midfield? Uh, well, mm. Christian Kunku is a former Paris player, former midfielder, who's been, you know, more of an attacking player since leaving. Uh, and he had, as you mentioned, uh, the hat trick uh, for RB Leipzig. Uh, delighted to see an American manager at this stage, and not just one, but two, right? David Wagner is also involved. Um, this is all we've ever wanted. And there's so much focus on, on the U.S. internationals that are playing now at Chelsea and Juventus and Barcelona and whatnot. Um, but it's a really, really big deal to have American coaches and coaches with a U.S. background who are making um, headway for other coaches for the future, right? Because initially there was that stigma about American players in Europe and your passport almost worked against you unless you were like a dual national, like a Giuseppe Rossi, for example, who opted to play for Italy. And not, not that I'm mad or anything, but I'll talk to him about it at the weekend when we cover City. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, be careful. Yeah. He's a colleague now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think he'll be fine with it. Um, so to see coaches doing it and, and competitive, because let's let's face it, RB Leipzig were competitive against Manchester City, who are, you know, one, two or three best best team on the planet right now. I think the conversation is probably between Paris uh, City and Byron, as it is most years uh, mm. to be competitive against them away from home is, uh, is a good sign for RB, uh, RB Leipzig and for Jesse Marsh. It shows that the, the, the process is, is working. Yeah, Jesse Marsh, a friend of the show, by the way. Uh, he's, aside from a great manager, a fantastic human being. So hopefully they can turn things around there. That was Pep Guardiola's 300th game in charge, by the way, and Jack Grealish's first Champions League appearance. All right, let's. right, uh, I'll, I'll put two in one here. Besiktas uh, was the earlier game against Dortmund. Darlene Haaland got one. Jude Bellingham, uh, his yep. rise, uh, his stock just continues to go on the up. That was 2-1 to Borussia Dortmund. But Erling Haaland, 21 goals in the Champions League for the 21-year-old in 21 matches, I believe, in 2021. Oh, he was born in uh, July 21 as well, 21st. Uh, so that, there's a lot of 21 there. Uh, but any thoughts from that one, Besiktas, Dortmund, Darlene Haaland, and, and how they're looking? Yeah, Haaland was born to score goals, honestly. And I think we all we saw the sort of Messi, well, I guess we're still living it, but we're in the twilight of the Messi, Cristiano, Ronaldo era, right? And we thought, you know, these two extraterrestrials, we're never going to see anything like this. It's the first time that we see players scoring, you know, a goal per game since the days of, you know, Ferenc Puskas. And it'll be generations before we see anyone remotely close to these numbers. Not necessarily, right? Like, I think the, the, what we're seeing from Holland is extraterrestrial level goal scoring. And he's not going to be, you know, the, I think maybe Cristiano's a better comparison because he's not going to be, I don't think, the playmaker that Messi is or, or have the, the, the variety to his game necessarily. But the guy was born to score goals. He's an absolute machine. He's a conveyor belt of goals. And it doesn't matter whether it's with Salzburg in the Champions League, whether it's with Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, or wherever he moves on in the future. Um, the most exciting, we, we can talk about Kylian Mbappe, we can talk about some other young stars, uh, but he is just freakishly um, good at football, uh, Holland, and must see TV anytime he plays. Because if you watch Borussia Dortmund play, Holland plays, and he doesn't score, you're almost surprised. 
that he yep. doesn't get a goal. You mentioned the numbers. What was it? Uh, uh, 21 Champions League goals for the, uh, in 21 uh, games. <laughs> That's an absurd, an absurd amount of goals. And, and I think we're watching something just truly special. And maybe, you know, we can we can pretend to appreciate it now. I don't think games. I'm sorry. I producer corrected me. Even right. better. Ridiculous. Right. So I think we can like pretend to, to, to say, yeah, we know what we're seeing. Oh, he's really, really good. I don't know that it's hit us yet necessarily. Uh, by the way, producer Des Norris. So let's. I know let's, let's he's sure he's that. annoying the hell out of me, but because JJ somehow got out of the bathroom or wherever yeah. he was hiding. But Jonathan Johnson is here. JJ, how are you, my friend? I mean, it was a great energy, great stadium for Club Rouge. But uh, what did you make of it? You saw it live, one all in that game. Would love to hear your thoughts, JJ. Yeah, guys, uh, happy to, to finally be joining you after uh, a lot of drama. Absolutely zero Wi-Fi access during the whole game. So uh, feeling uh, pretty, pretty glad to be reconnected with the world. But no, it was, uh, it, it was a really absorbing contest. It was also just, uh, you know, surreal to see Neymar, Messi, Mbappe taking to the pitch at the same time together. But also... You know, C-Club Bruges giving as good as they got, uh, you know, and I think that they were good value for the draw that they came away with. And I don't think anyone could really begrudge them, maybe even the win, the way that they played. Uh, you know, they have a very talented team. They've got some very good players, De Kittler, uh, Noah Lang, just two of those guys. I thought Insoki was super as well against his former team. Uh, you know, PSG never really got going. I mean, okay, they had moments where, you know, Messi hit the crossbar. Uh, you know, there were flashes of brilliance, but more question marks than answers uh, from this PSG. So obviously, there were holes in the midfield and the creativity uh, was suspended, which will be the case for the next two games. The importance of getting Verratti back fit again uh, underlined. Uh, and now you've got the concern over Kylian Mbappe as well. JJ, let me ask you, do you see the same role for Verratti this year that, that we saw last year where he was more of an attacking midfielder, a little bit closer to a number 10 than to like the regista that we'd seen from Verratti forever? Uh, now that it is so top heavy, so you got those three monsters up top, does that by necessity mean Verratti has to drop a little bit more, has to drop deeper in the midfield to try and be more of a link up? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the way the PSG are playing at the moment and they absolutely need somebody who's closer to defence and can get the ball and, and, and link the two areas of the pitch because Verratti was decent as a makeshift number 10, but by, he was by no means the, the long-term solution. And you look at the guys that PSG are trying to put out on the pitch at the moment, the roles they're playing. You know, Wijnaldum really, really struggled against Bruges because he wasn't playing in, you know, the sort of role that really gets him thr to, to thrive. And I also think that PSG really needed a defensive enforcer in that midfield, and they didn't have one out there. Herrera's not one, Paredes isn't one. Danilo is one, but he came in off the bench. And per personally, I would have gone for someone like Marquinhos, someone who's been proven to be very, very good uh, at the defensive side of things when he plays in the midfield, but also can offer something for, from deep, you know, almost like a deep-lying uh, playmaker. So, you know, I think if anyone was playing a makeshift role or should have been playing a makeshift role, uh, it would have been nothing else. I think that would have given PSG a lot more balance in that midfield. You know, it's great that Herrera's on this goal-scoring run, but there's only so many games where he's going to be able to take those chances that come his way. It's not a long-term solution. Um, and once again, the question is going to be, you know, how is Pochettino going to set up this team when he has all of the players available to him? Because it is a real headache, and there is going to be at least one or two big names who miss out regularly uh, once he has his preferred starting eleven. And there's other big questions as well, like, you know, why was Neymar you know, pretty much invisible for the, for the entirety of the 90 minutes tonight? 
What's the latest on Kylian Mbappe, Jonathan Johnson? Uh, obviously, the uh, collision happened even earlier before he in the, in the first half, but he was clearly bothered by it for, for a while. What's the latest on him? Yeah, he took a few knocks uh, during the course of the match, and it became obvious in the second half when he went down that that would probably be it for him. Um, Pochettino has been asked that in the press conference, which is still going on behind me at this moment in time. Uh, and he said it's going to be a couple of days before they get the results back of the tests and can work out exactly how much damage has been done. Uh, you know, he didn't want to say too much about how worried uh, he and the club might be at this moment in time. But obviously, just, just losing Mbappe during the game, uh, you know, the potential injury is a massive especially the way he started this season you know, because he's pretty much been the most consistent player certainly in terms of like, you know the, the the goals coming in with the exception of Herrera like, and like I said and that's a streak that's not going to last all season long uh, and it, it is going to be a concern now for, for Pochettino especially when you look at somebody like Icardi who came on in his place and just seems so incompatible with the rest of that attack so, JJ, we actually talked about this a little bit before um, you were able to join us. Um, so I just want to like touch on it again because, yes, nobody is ever going to pick Mauro Icardi to play ahead of uh, Kylian Mbappe or Neymar or Messi. But there was one change when, when Icardi came on, and that's that Messi all of a sudden starts getting touches a little bit closer to the 18, has more opportunities to actually shoot. You think about uh, Mbappe being a guy who wants the ball out wide where he's isolated and he can take players on or play it in front of him. Neymar the same. Neymar's one of the few players in the world, a la Ronaldinho back in the day, who can pick the ball up wide at the midfield line, dribble two or three players and attack from there. There is something that I think is a sort of a systemic puzzle for Pochettino now, which is how you get Messi touches close to the 18 when neither Mbappe nor Neymar are going to be doing that dirty work to attract the center backs and to keep them busy. That seems to be one of the big challenges for Paris. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, something that we do need to bear in mind is this is the first time that Pochettino has been able to align these guys on the pitch. You'd hope for his sake that it's not going to be the last time for a while, given uh, Mbappe's injury. We'll have to see how that one uh, pans out. But, you know, I also think that it's it, it would be silly to plan for the attack without trying to include someone like Icardi. You know, Icardi is here. He's probably now going to be here for the rest of the season. So, you know, you may as well sort of make the best of the situation and try to find a way to utilize him from time to time. Because he gives PSG something that the other guys in attack don't. That's, you know, a completely new outlet. And yes, obviously, the go-to guys uh, in the attack are going to be the likes of Neymar, the likes of Mbappe, you know, guys who can use their pace and trickery. Uh, you know, to open up opportunities, the the drop of a hat, you know, a Messi as well, potentially playing in a, in, in a free role. You know, there were still some flashes of his trademark brilliance where he was taking it across the penalty box. Uh, you know, he still manages to have that magnetic ball control as well. It was it was obvious even as, as PSG found themselves under the cosh late on. Uh, and, you know, I think it's going to be a question of fine-tuning and how much time that Pochettino can actually get with these guys being out on the pitch together. Uh, you know, and I think Coming into another big match at the weekend, the game against Leon will really help. Assuming that Mbappe is fit enough uh, to feed them, because otherwise Pochettino is going to have to make all the plans for the next couple of weeks, and that's where it becomes tricky. Because in the game, he can call on someone like Maria, who's immediately, uh, you know, a creative boost to the attack. But then they're going to still have to do without them in Champions League uh, for City uh, and uh, possibly Leipzig as well. Definitely out in both of those games, and we'll have to wait and see with Mbappe.
We will have to wait and see, but Jonathan Johnson, we appreciate. We know that you're in the stadium. We know that you're about to replicate in Bruges as well. So you're Colin Farrell. You just got to find your Brendan Gleeson, I guess. But Jonathan Johnson, we really appreciate all the commentary. Get home safe, my friend, and we will see you next time. Thanks a lot. Brendan Gleeson, fellow family. Fellow family. <laughs> see you later jj that was uh jonathan johnson right there speaking from the stadium right there in belgium so let's wrap things up here drake cordera i wanted to just quickly touch on atletico madrid and porto they spend all this money we're all gloating and we're all so happy oh my god defending champions from la liga they got cunha griezmann returns it's just uh, it's just a barrel of fun for the aoc meone and then they draw a duck. What's the latest? What do you think? Do you think Porto was just that resilient or Atleti just couldn't make it happen? I think we're seeing what we see from Atletico every single year, and that is that Diego Simeone has some really, especially in recent seasons, some really exceptional attacking options. Uh, gifted uh, Luis Suarez last year to add to that. The return of Yannick Carrasso, who came back as a uh, a more mature player, more willing to do the dirty work. And yet they are always sort of reined in by the by the approach that, that Simeone has. There are flashes where Atletico look a little bit more proactive. Uh, Marcos Llorente playing as, as a wingback means he doesn't quite get you know forward as, as much um, as, as he did early last season, where he was arguably the best playmaker, the best attacking midfielder um, in Spain. But I think there's always going to be that little identity crisis to, to Atleti where they have the players to be more aggressive, to be more attacking, but they've got a manager who is always going to be defense first. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a balance that's worked for them, right? Because they've, they've been competitive uh, in Europe. They, they've won La Liga now um, twice under Diego Simeone. So th- there's nothing to reproach about his approach. Um, it works for them. But you just wonder whether the most difficult thing Atleti are going to have to do is make that decision of when they need to go in another direction to, to get somebody that takes them to the next step. Because, and I don't, I'm not saying that that moment is now. Um, I think Simeone is arguably the best manager in Spain. He certainly paid like the best manager in Spain and his success speaks, the success speaks for itself. But I just always like to see Atleti take the reins off a little bit, be more, more attractive, more attacking, get chances closer to the opposition's goal, especially with the sort of resurgence that we've seen from Coque Resurrección no um, no pun intended, in the last couple of seasons. So it, it's the same argument, the same conversation with Atleti every single year is, okay, we know what the manager's approach is. We know what the talent that they have at their disposal. I think there's still going to be a ridiculously difficult out for absolutely anybody in Europe. Um, but this was clearly not good enough to take the next step, which after winning La Liga is winning the Champions League. I think all three of the Spanish giants are going to struggle in the Champions League. And this may be an obvious thing they say, but we're much more likely to see a Spanish team in Europa League next than win La Liga next because of the, the pace of La Liga has slowed down significantly over the years because there's more fouls, more stoppages because the game is officiated differently. And when they uh, face the intensity and the permissiveness really of referees in the Champions League, they don't necessarily know how to deal with it um, to the same extent. And so I think all three, including Madrid, who won today uh, of those uh, big Spanish giants are going to struggle a bit in Europe this year. Yeah, and Europa League obviously is always a friend to those teams from La Liga. All right, we want to wrap things up, but quickly I just want to mention Sporting Ajax. Sebastian Haller, former West Ham player, scores after 70 seconds and then becomes the first Ajax player, by the way, to score four in a Champions League game. A friend of mine, uh, Rodrigo Azurmendi, said maybe uh, Barcelona got the wrong Dutch manager because Ten Hag is uh, so good at just getting the best out of certain players, especially strikers. Very quickly on that game, Ajax looking good there, Drake Cordero. Yeah, first to score four and also first to score a hat-trick in like a quarter of a century as well. Um, Ajax, 
Give me the IXs and the Atalantas of the world every single Champions League. Honestly, they're, they're teams that are you, – you're seeing the, the familiar pattern here. I like teams that are daring. Um, I like teams that are going to try and dominate to impose their will. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. There was some dodgy defending, by the way, from Sporting. Uh, I think all four of those goals, at least three of them, uh, were, were helped by, by Sporting not being particularly strong uh, defensively. But after what we saw, what we've seen from Ajax in recent seasons and, and their ability to just rejuvenate, right, to, to sell players – and continue to, to to compete at this level. They're one of the most likable clubs in world football, and you're always rooting them for them to get into the knockout stage. Yeah, one of the best uh, youth systems in the world who just produces quality after quality. All right, let's just end it, everything, with a match day one takeaways, because that is the end of match day one of the Champions League. Uh, so let's begin with this, Drake Cutter. Your biggest disappointment, it can be a player, it can be a team, it can be a performance. What's your biggest disappointment from this uh, week? It's Paris. Uh, my biggest disappointment is Paris because they didn't look fluid. They didn't look, I mean, it's, it's a work in progress, certainly. And Pochettino has to be the one um, to put it all together. They didn't lose, right? So you can go with like a Manchester United, for example, losing uh, away from home with Cristiano, despite Cristiano Ronaldo scoring for them and, and giving them the opener. Um, but I think for Paris to struggle the way they did. And it's not the result. It's the way that they played and the way that mm. they were dominated stretches. Um, yes, they had more possession, but they had fewer chances and they looked the less threatening of the two teams. Um, PSG, especially if Mbappe is forced to miss any significant time, will be, I think, the big disappointment coming away from this week. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. Mine is PSG as well. I said it from the very beginning. You cannot do that when you have all of these assets uh, with you, and that's exactly what they did. All right, Drake Cordero, which team surprised you the most uh, from match day one? It's got to be Sheriff, I think, right? But because I, I still haven't really dissected that game, I'm going to say it's the other side of that uh, Paris disappointment. It's Bruges. It's Bruges because of... Uh, the, the the fact that they stared a, a European giant down. And yes, Paris maybe don't have the history of some of the European giants, but I think it's undeniable that in 2021, they are a giant of European football um, mm. and they've got, and they've got the quality and they've got uh, the, the, you know, the Champions League finals to back it up um, for Bruges to, from the opening minute, go after them, play in their half, play closer to Kaylor Navas's goal than to their own was genuinely surprising, right? Because typically you think a team does that, a team of, of Bruges stature does that uh, against Paris Saint-Germain and Messi's going to score two, Neymar's going to get one, Mbappe's going to get one or two as well. They're going to give away a penalty. But instead, most of that game was played in Paris's final third. And scoreline aside, that is the biggest surprise of this round. I like it. I like it. All right. What group are you reassessing again? You were, you thought maybe at the very beginning of the Champions League, oh, this is going to be a tough group. Or maybe, oh, this is a doable group for a certain right. club. But is there a group that you think, I have to rethink who's going to come out of this? Yeah, I think the one that raises a sort of Ancelotti-sized eyebrow for me is Group F. Um, group F with young boys upsetting Manchester United. Yes, it was in Switzerland. And then uh, Villarreal Atalanta played an absolutely terrific game between those two. I'm really high on, on Villarreal. I love their play. And you know how I feel about Atalanta, who, again, under Gasperini, are one of the most daring teams in Europe and one of the highest scoring teams. This is Atalanta with a budget that's a lot closer to Villarreal, score the kinds of goals and the volume of goals that you expect from mm. a Paris or a Bayern Munich. Um, and so I genuinely look at that group, especially with young boys getting that 95th minute game winner, showing a ton of character against Manchester United. When all the narrative and all the momentum is going United's way, the return of Cristiano Ronaldo, who's scoring better than a goal a game since coming back, uh, scores an early goal for them there. And somehow young boys still come away with all three points from that opener. I think that makes that group even less certain and more of a question mark now than it was coming in when you saw that parity perhaps between United, Villarreal, Atalanta. Young boys looked like maybe they'd be the, the whipping boys rather than the young boys in that group. I don't know that that's the case necessarily when they start as the only team with three points. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, maybe I might include Group A just because of PSG. I really don't know if it's going to be as quick as Pochettino will figure it out straight away. It might take a little longer. And then you never know. Maybe Leipzig takes advantage at home. That could be an interesting one. Man City, I think, have it covered. But I think you make a very good point about Young Boys and David Wagner. A very good job indeed to get three points against Manchester United. Well, that's it. That's our show, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thank you for watching and listening. Follow the Kegolasso podcast on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod. Subscribe to the Kegolasso page on YouTube and hit that notification bell so you'll know when the new episodes come out. We're on CBS Sports app and cbsports.com. Drake Cordero is on Twitter, but you can hear his beautiful voice. Serie A is coming back again, of course, the weekend. And then we go midweek matches. Anything else you want to plug, Drake Cordero? It's always good to see you, my friend. No, I'll, ju- I'll just say one, this is a ton of fun. And two, this is inarguably the best podcast you'll hear featuring two Latinos with gray beards. On the beginning of Hispanic Latino Heritage Month. <laughs> Isn't that great? We're taking over, Dre Cordero. We're taking it's over. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, finally. <laughs> Dre, I really appreciate you. Dre will be with us uh, throughout the entire season. You know, when we get him away from Serie A and all his responsibilities as well with CONCACAF. But Dre, always a pleasure, brother. Muchas gracias, pa. Uh, it's an absolute joy. Uh, join us Sunday. Said, yeah, we've got uh, Milan Juventus this weekend. You're not going to want to miss Ooh, that. That's a tasty, tasty game. We will see you then. Have a great, great rest of your evening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.